0: Church, and we are in the story. We have been traveling through this biblical narrative. We started last summer, in fact. We picked it up again this summer. And we continue to unravel and seek to understand the bigger story of what God is doing by examining this biblical story. And all of these stories that come one after another show and convey a bigger picture of God's entire story. And so just as a recap, kind of a, a backdrop for you, just a reminder of some of the things we've covered recently. It'll be important as it relates to today, and that is uh, not too long ago we were talking about how God had brought together uh, and raised up some kings, and those kings had established uh, the kingdom of Israel, the kingdom that was a unified kingdom under King David. You remember King David? Okay, there's a yes, thank you, someone does. So after King David, uh, there are a couple generations later that actually that kingdom then gets ripped apart and torn in two. Civil war takes place and you have what started as the the, the whole kingdom gets ripped into a northern kingdom, which assumes the name Israel, the northern kingdom of Israel. And that northern kingdom has 10 out of the 12 tribes that once made up God's people. 10 out of the 12 tribes are up north. And they establish their own uh, capital called Samaria. You just heard it read about there. They establish Samaria as the northern kingdom's capital. Then you have the southern kingdom, the kingdom of what is called Judah. It has two tribes inside of it, a small tribe and a big tribe. Eventually, the big tribe just kind of swallows up the small tribe, and it becomes known as the kingdom of the south or the kingdom of Judah. Well, in the midst of all this civil unrest, uh, the, the evil one works in such a way that Idols and false gods start becoming more and more prevalent, so much so that that, that as years progress, uh, God's people are no longer worshiping God. They're worshiping golden calves. They're performing sacred rites to old uh, archaic religions that, that, that God has said, this is not who you are. And yet God's people are chasing after those false gods, along with all the, the vile practices Practices the Bible lists that go along with it. And God's response to this is to send the prophets. The prophets come in, as we heard, and they are truth speakers. They are truth seers. They see the big picture and say, Guys, woo, not good. We need to repent, turn our hearts back to God, and seek God to once again bring healing to our war-torn, uh, idol-ridden nation." Well, uh, do the people listen to the prophets? Yes or no? You just heard it read. How many think, yes, they repented, everybody believed, and it was fantastic, and and they came back to God, and all things went well? Yeah, one dancing, the sound guy's dancing in the back. I do. Yeah, not so much, right? The harsh reality is, Just like we sometimes ignore prophetic words or important words that people speak in our lives, sometimes we ignore them. God's people ignored God's words too back in the Bible. They don't listen to the prophets. They refuse to see the big picture. And they continue to practice evil practices. And and through this... We then pick the story up with this northern kingdom and what happens to the north. As they're practicing these evil practices, there's a king who's named Hosea. Uh, hug Maddie if you see Maddie later who read because she got some of the hardest, most complicated names you can get in, in the Old Testament. Okay, So there's Hosea, and he is king of the north, okay? And he's reigning in the north, but the Bible says that he did evil in the sight of the Lord, yet not like the kings of Israel who were before him. So he's done something different that has clearly upset God, but the Bible here, this is coming out of 2 Kings, doesn't make it overt and clear right away as to what he's done because it's different than the kings before him. We know what the kings before him have done. They've chased after false gods. But well, what is it that Hoshea has done? We don't know. But this we do know that the king of Assyria, Shalmaneser, comes up against him. That the king of Assyria comes against, makes war with the northern kingdom. And because Assyria is so big and so powerful, the northern kingdom becomes a vassal state to. Assyria do you guys know what a vassal state means? Uh, it's kind of like this: The big bully on the playground forces all the kids to give them lunch their, mon- their lunch money over to the big bully. that's basically what a vassal state is. Assyria is going around to these smaller kingdoms saying, "Hey, pay up, fork it over, pay us off so that we will leave you alone and that 's what a vassal state is. and so the king of Assyria actually notices that Hoshea is doing something that's not so great, actually. He sent messengers to Egypt, kind of the back door, and said, hey, Egypt, come to my help. Come to my aid. Come rescue us from the king of Assyria. Does the king of Assyria take kindly to this attempt? No, definitely not. He imprisons him, he confines him, and then he invades his country. As a result, Samaria, the northern capital of the northern kingdom, falls into Assyrian hands. And this is big, That last little line there on, in Second Kings. Uh, "He carried the Israelites away to Assyria. So what happens is this, quite simply, the green that's Assyria. See how big that is? Give you a reference point, this is the Mediterranean Sea. So you can see this is desert. Nobody wants desert. So this is all the good stuff. They've got the good stuff. This little box here is shown here and you can see that little purple that's the northern kingdom. Okay? So it's all the green Verse the little purple right there. Who's going to win? Little wonder that the little purple sent emissaries down into Egypt saying, Hey, come rescue us. Come help us out here. Okay? So once the northern kingdom... Falls, once Assyria takes over, the Assyrians are brilliant people, brilliant strategists. What they do is they take the people of Israel and they scatter them all over the Assyrian Empire. They take all these families and rather than keep them together to foster rebellion, they send different Jewish families off to the far corners of their green empire that you see up there. And so the Jewish, 10 out of the 12 Jewish tribes are deported and relocated out into the world. And they are so spread out, so thinly, they lose their Jewish heritage and identity and assimilate into the Assyrian Empire. Quite simply, the way that historians refer to these tribes, the lost tribes of Israel. To this day, they are simply gone. The northern kingdom has been annihilated. The reasons that the Bible lays out is indeed, as you heard read, that they chased after false gods. They did a lot of nasty stuff. They did sex trade. They did uh, child uh, sacrifice. I mean, really bad stuff. And it just broke God's heart. And it sums it up by saying, they went after false idols. And as a result, they became false in and of themselves they became false as part of God's people and it broke God's heart the northern kingdom is utterly obliterated well if you're down south remember there are two kingdoms there are things happening up north that you're paying very close attention to yes I mean, you're reading the newspaper daily. You're watching your news because there's this major empire that just took over your brothers, your sisters, your estranged cousins up north. The Bible tells us that a young king comes to reign at the same time. His name is Hezekiah. On the count of three, everybody say Hezekiah. One, two, three... Hezekiah. Hezekiah is worth remembering because Hezekiah, as king of the south, he gets a good report card. Do you guys remember the report cards that we were talking about? How every king, whether of the north or of the south, gets kind of weighed up as either a good king or a bad king. Well, believe it or not, Hezekiah is one of the few rare good kings. And the reason that he is a good king is because he did what was right in the sight of the Lord, just as his ancestor did, and he took away all of the bad practices. So Hezekiah is running around the kingdom of Judah in the south, destroying false idols, destroying bad temples. He's outlawing child sacrifice. He's outlawing the sex trade. He's trying to get away from all of these vile practices and bring people back to god and because of that he is considered a good king who followed in the ways of his ancestor david and, and as a result of trusting god putting his faith in god rather than running to egypt He also rebels against the king of Assyria and would not serve him. So he says, I'm not going to serve you, Assyria. I'm not going to put my faith in in governments or in powers. I'm not going to put my faith in my trust in military power. I believe, Assyria, that my God is bigger and more powerful than you and your empire. And I will not serve you. I will not serve your gods. We are Judah. And we serve the Lord our God. How do you think Assyria takes to this? Kindly? Not so much. Once more, we find Assyria is unhappy. He actually, the Assyrian uh, king, sends a general to go stand outside the walls of Jerusalem. And he starts shouting in Hebrew. He says, Do not let Hezekiah deceive you. He will not be able to deliver you out of my hand. Do not let Hezekiah make you rely on the Lord, saying the Lord is going to deliver us, and this city will not be given into the hand of the king of Assyria. I mean, are you kidding? kidding me? Seriously, don't let Hezekiah talk you into this. And then not only does he say that to the populace, he writes a letter then to Hezekiah himself. The the general sits down, writes a letter, gives it to some messengers, and he says, I want you to go deliver this letter and, and bring my message to Hezekiah. This is what he says. He throws it in Hezekiah's face. He says, Thus you shall speak to the king of Hezekiah Judah. Do not let the Lord your God, on whom you rely, deceive you by promising that Jerusalem will not be given into the hand of the king of Assyria. See? <laughs> you have heard what the kings of Assyria have done to all lands, destroying them utterly. Hint, hint, wink, wink, look to the north. What happened to your brothers and sisters in Israel before now? You think you're going to be delivered, Hezekiah? Are you nuts? We are Assyria. And you shall and you must submit or be destroyed like the north. Now, remember, Hosea tried to run south to Egypt. Hezekiah's response to this is very different than Hosea's. Hezekiah received the letter from the hand of the messengers and read it. And then he went up to the house of the Lord and he actually spreads the letter before God, laying it on the altar. And he prays to God and he says, So now, Lord God, save us, I pray you. Save us from his hand so that all the nations of the earth may know that you, O oh Lord, are God alone. Now we see the difference between Hosea and Hezekiah. And we can understand what evil Hosea did. Rather than having humility and faith like Hezekiah, Hosea when faced with destruction and ruin, Hosea ran to the powers and principalities of this world. Hezekiah, when faced with his ruin and the ruin of his people, he runs to God. He runs to church. He lays himself and his problems before the Lord. I find that good stories good stories help place you as kind of that main character or or place you in the story. You know what I mean? Like a good movie or a good book. If you were Hosea or Hezekiah, what would you have done? I mean, faced with an overwhelming, impending ruin and destruction... What would we have done? I actually find that it's not that hard to imagine. Because if we're honest, haven't we at different points and times in our lives also faced ruin? Haven't we faced pain and suffering before? When we think about our stories, have you ever experienced an entire empire of Assyria coming against you? I always tell myself that summer is going to be a little more casual. Summer will be a little bit more of a downtime. I'll get a breather. Every single summer I get there and I'm like, Oh my gosh. I can't believe summer's almost over. It's this fast. It just seems to fly by. I get so busy. And part of what keeps me busy is sitting down and meeting with people, spending time with people, and actually hearing their stories. This past week, I've heard a tremendous number of individual and specific stories. And out of all those stories that I've been hearing, you know what one big common factor was? I mean, one of the big common factors of every person that I sat with, is that each of them could share a point in time in their life where they had also faced ruin. Pain. Hurt. Loss. I met with three different people of, of different stories and different experiences that touched on Adultery. Uh, an affair, loss of your spouse's love. Two of the stories that I heard had to do with parents whose children had broken their hearts because they weren't living the way that a parent would want them to live. They were off making their own decisions, and those decisions hurt them as parents. One of the stories I heard was one of financial ruin, financial loss. Completely, utterly destroyed financially. No job, no savings, no nothing. What do I do now? Two of the stories, two of the people that I sat with told me stories of cancer. Of disease. All of the stories... All of our stories reflect the same story of Hezekiah and Hosea. Where things, evil, pain, and suffering comes against us. And we are forced to make decisions, forced into positions where we have to answer the question, how do you respond To impending ruin. How do we react when faced with our own pain? I'd like to say that I'm like Hezekiah. I want to be like Hezekiah. But if I'm honest with myself, I'm probably a little bit more like Hosea. No, I don't have any trips planned to Egypt. But, I don't mind you, I run to Netflix. Any Netflix binge watchers in the house? <laughs> Big time. Pound out a season in a day. You do that? Do you run to things? You know another one I run to? Venti Raspberry Mocha. I run to that baby I run to my family seeking affirmation I run to places and situations and circumstances that aren't always the best for me that don't really help actually I run and I turn to things that won't deliver me. And I know that there are stories in here that I'm not alone. We turn to all sorts of stuff. Mocha is one example, but there's a lot more destructive stuff out there we turn to, right? We turn to pornography, alcohol, shopping. We turn to all sorts of stuff. And so if I'm honest with myself, and I think if we're honest with our own stories, the reality is, we may be a lot more like Hosea than Hezekiah. So it begs the question, if I look at my own story and my own life, and I seem to welcome the ruin, the ruin is something more often than not that I've invited into my own life Through my own decisions, the consequences of my own decisions, if I seem to always invite this ruin, what will God do about it? How does God respond when you and I are faced with our ruin? How did He respond to Hezekiah? When Hezekiah came to him and asked him to intervene. Would he? Would God intervene? Hezekiah asked him to. Indeed, he does. God responds to Hezekiah. He responds to him imploring and asking him to intervene. And he says, I will defend this city and I will save it for my own sake and for the sake of my servant David. And and what he does is so big, it's so grand, it it, it would be clearly God's intervention and activity. What happens the next day is uh, they wake up and they find that half the Assyrian army camped on their doorstep is dead. And, And all of a sudden, back home, there's like this rebellion and political intrigue that's going on that has caused the king to return. And so you have a general with a half-dead army, and you have a king who's back home. And by the way, when the king is back home, he gets assassinated by his own kids. The entire empire falls apart, comes completely apart at the seams. Assyria like that starts to unravel. It's so big and so grand, it... Must be God's hand of intervention, saving, intervening, rescuing the people of Judah, rescuing people. What perhaps is even more amazing, God not only tells and promises Hezekiah he will deliver him, and then does. He tells Hezekiah something else. He tells Hezekiah that what he's doing as God is even bigger than Hezekiah's story. That God's rescue for Hezekiah is a small piece of God's bigger rescue plan. That when God promises Hezekiah a rescue in the moment, it is a reflection of the larger rescue God is seeking to accomplish, not only for Hezekiah, but for Hezekiah's children, Hezekiah's grandchildren, Hezekiah's legacy, all the way to today's generation. God has been working out a larger rescue plan that will save us, not just from Assyria, but will save you and me from our own brokenness, from sin, death, and the devil. God promises all the way back with Hezekiah, all the way back with David, if you remember, that he is beginning a rescue plan for you. He says this to Hezekiah amidst the war, amidst the the terrible strife that's going on. He says, there will be a surviving remnant of the house of Judah that shall again take root downward and bear fruit upward. Even though you guys are on the ropes, even though you guys are on the rocks, even though it seems like things are really tough right now, Judah, I will preserve you. For from Jerusalem, a remnant shall go out and from the Mount of Zion, a band of survivors. zeal of the Lord of hosts God himself is accomplishing this God himself is preserving and protecting Judah because from the line of David, the line of Judah a savior will come who will actually subject his own self to ruin. This Savior will take our ruin, the, the junk that fills up and ruins our lives, the greed, the jealousy, the rage, the war, the famine, the pain and suffering and brokenness of the entire world. This Savior will actually take the ruin into Himself, subject Himself to such destruction. And he will die on a cross in order to rescue his people. In order to rescue you and me. You see, in these moments when we are faced with ruin, when Hezekiah and Hosea are faced with ruin, when David was faced with ruin, when the pain and the hurt comes, we have a God who has been, is, and will continue to work out our rescue, to deliver us, rescue us from the deep seed of sin, death, and the devil. He will rescue us not only from Assyria. He will rescue us not only from the hurt in our lives. He will rescue us to a new future with Him. That, that, is the grand, big story. Let's close in prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you for the gift of your teaching and your word this morning for how prized and precious is the story of Hezekiah, of the northern and the southern kingdoms. We ask that we would indeed learn from them. both Learn from both examples of what not to do in chasing after and filling our lives with false gods and false idols and Netflix. (laughs) Give us hearts that would indeed turn to you, that would be faithful unto you, that would lay our ruin and our hurts and our pains before you as Hezekiah did. Even more so, may the story of the deliverance that you began so long ago continue to be worked out in our lives. As you rescued Hezekiah, rescue us. Rescue us from our own Assyrias. Rescue us from the power behind Assyria, from sin, death, and the devil. We trust in the rescue that you have provided in your son, Jesus the Christ, that he would humble himself so much so that he would subject himself to ruin itself. And in doing so, deliver and rescue us. And so we thank you, and we praise you, and we trust you. As our stories continue to unfold, we hold on to and trust the greater, bigger story of your redemption. We pray all of this through Christ and in his name. Amen.